Life Audio. You're listening to Therapy and Theology, and I'm your host, Carly Merclear. This podcast is a space where we explore popular topics and questions related to the convergence of faith, feelings, spiritual formation, and more. My prayer is that through these conversations, we will grow in our awareness of who we are as beloved children of God, learn to acknowledge our needs and emotions with curiosity and compassion, and rediscover the purpose and power of our unique stories through the lens of the gospel. As a licensed therapist and ministry leader, I want to give voice to the many questions we face while cultivating a clearer view of how our faith informs our healing journey. I don't have all the answers, but I am committed to going deeper and walking together. So whether you've been to therapy or know exactly what you believe when it comes to theology, I want to invite you to join this journey as we fearlessly name the complexities of our present reality and press into the hope of the gospel story. So are you ready? Let's jump into today's question and begin this journey together. everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in... Anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Hello and welcome back to Therapy and Theology. Today we're diving into yet another episode on deconstructing distortions. And today's episode is all about Jesus and women. Joining me today in the studio is Lauren McClellan. She is a native of New Jersey and came to Lynchburg for college almost half a lifetime ago. She holds a degree in psychology and has a gift and has made a career out of hospitality. After becoming a mother to three children, Lauren has over 13 years of experience planning events and a desire to use her power for good. She currently works for Freedom 424, a nonprofit organization that seeks to prevent and end sexual exploitation and trafficking locally and globally. Lauren is passionate about bringing light to darkness, addressing the difficult places, and confronting evil no matter where it hides. Lauren is the oldest of 10 children, seven of whom are women, and has two daughters of her own. It is her life's work to amplify theirs and others' women's voices so that they can live holistically healthy lives and learn to advocate for others in turn. She hopes to be a partner in platforming important voices and fighting to restore the balance to gender dynamics in the church and the culture. Lauren's favorite things include quiet free time, an aesthetically beautiful environment, and an excellent cup of coffee or well-crafted margarita. So welcome to the show, Lauren. I'm so grateful to have you join me in this conversation today. And 
I would love for us to just start by having you share a little bit about your journey and personal connection to this topic and why it's important. Thank you for having me, Carly. This is definitely a topic that is near and dear to my heart. I was raised in a Christian environment that was very traditionalist and had a mom who had 10 children, stayed at home with them and thrived in that scenario. We were in church Sundays and Wednesdays and my mom was taking care of the babies in the nursery and supporting incredibly well. My dad providing for our whole family. And I was just given this picture of excellent partnership that looked one way. And I assumed that it was the only way that it should look. So I expected my partnership with my husband to look a lot like the partnership that my parents had and even that his parents had because he grew up military. His dad was moving all the time. His mom was changing jobs every two years to support his father. I saw those models and I saw those very healthy relationships and I thought, okay, this is what I do. I did not thrive in that situation. We've been married for 16 years now. And I mean, it's taken me up until this year to, I don't want to say put my foot down, but speak very clearly Mm -hmm. to say, like, I don't want things to be this way. Mm -hmm. I'm not doing well in this scenario. I put these roles and responsibilities on myself. And Kyle also assumes that it would be how things went because his parents function similarly. So we had a lot of assumptions for me (laughs) Uh, together. Yeah. None of them necessarily wrong, but because I don't have those same giftings, I don't know. I'm more of a leader. I'm a three on the Enneagram. I want to check off my tasks. I have a creative heart and mind and I want to make beautiful things. And when you're at home for endless hours changing diapers and working with children who are throwing tantrums, like it it, it was a really dark experience for me. Yeah. So thankful I could have them, right? Two things can be true at the same time. Yes. And yes. children are a gift from God. They also are the hardest thing that I've ever put my time and energy into. So it was very recently that I said, like, look, I've been working myself to death, trying to be all things to all people, trying to honestly impress you and be the wife that I think that you want. And I'm not the wife that I want to be. So I need to set some boundaries and I need to say, like, this is where I draw my line. I will do this. I am not willing to do this. I need help here. If it's not from you, it needs to be hired out. And that's resulted in some friction. But to his credit, Kyle has, <laughs> he's come along with me every step of the way. And we've really worked hard, even in the last couple of weeks on renegotiating what our partnership looks like, because it is unique. I love that. And so going through this, I mean, there, there's so many things here, right? So like from being a daughter to being a wife, to being a mother, all of these different opportunities that you've had. What are the distortions that you feel like you've had to deconstruct over the last several years? So many. I think the mental weight that we carry as women and caretakers Mm -hmm. is unavoidable. Yeah. It just is. If you're a caring parent, primary parent, it's just what comes with the job. Mm -hmm. But I think one of the things that I've even advocated for myself for in recent weeks and months is like 
if our children are having health issues, I don't want to be the one who knows all of the things and gives the instructions. I need Kyle to know the things too and to understand the importance of the things. So he's not my helper. He's not a friend of mine said, it's exhausting to be the one holding the plan, delegating all the time. Yeah. And in a partnership, two people are looking at the plan and then assigning roles. It's not one person looking at the plan and delegating down to the other. Right. And that's, I think, how having a family and keeping a home and managing those things felt for a long time. Like I was the one holding the plan. His plan was to go to work and my plan had to be to do everything else. Yes. It was false. Right. I think of the quote from Courtney Merker. She wrote a book about women and it's in relation to just the pressure that women face in America in general. And she said that we were a generation of women that were told we could do anything. And instead we heard we had to be everything. And I think this is such like relevance in our culture, whether you are single or married whatever you're doing, there's just this weight of the cultural role of what it means to be a woman, both restricting in some sense, but then also like very heavy in another sense, trying to fit in a confine of whether it be the religious culture's confine or our culture's confines. And the freedom of choice is a beautiful thing, but the freedom of choice can also be paralyzing. Yes. So I think it's important as, and I have two daughters, that as we raise women, we teach them Yes, please pursue what you want. That's my desire for you. Don't pursue what somebody else puts on you that you don't want. That's right. Because you only have so much emotional, physical, and that's capacity. So like choose the things that give you life and then outsource the other things. And there is no shame for that. (laughs) Yeah. No shame. Wash my, wash and fold everybody's underwear in my house, please. Because I don't want to do it. (laughs) (laughs) That's good. So in discussion of these distortions that we want to deconstruct, the most prevalent, I think, in the Christian culture context that we're deconstructing would be cultural roles, modesty and clothing and that whole conversation. And then this idea that I've come up with, this idea of like the good girl complex, like what does it mean to be a good Christian woman? We use the phrasing of the Proverbs 31 a lot, right? Overused, overused and creating a lot of shame, right? I think of all of these things being really impactful. And so I'm curious in your own experience through friendship and and the work that you do, what impact do you see these particular distortions having on women in our culture? Okay. So let's start with the first one. Okay. So I just listened to a podcast on this recently where I learned that this whole concept of roles came from heretical theology that was proposed by the Council for Biblical Womanhood and Manhood by Wayne Grudem about how Jesus was in his role submissive to the Father, subject to the Father, and in some, like, equal in nature, but subject. And that was something that was, okay, heretical in accordance to the Nicene Creed, but then weaponized to say, and in the same way, women, you are equal in value, however, subject in role. And that's really problematic, not only because it doesn't line up with traditional Christian orthodoxy, but because it it perpetrates abuse. Mm -hmm. And we really do see the fallout of that when we see these churches just imploding with lists of men who decided that they were in power and therefore hid their transgressions and hid one another's transgressions and victimized the vulnerable. Like, 
this isn't just a conversation about who's going to do the dishes. This is a conversation that trickles down power. Oh my gosh. Into the corners and the shadows. And it really does harm. Yeah, I also see this from like just a single woman perspective of this cultural role. I think it's specifically in Christianity. I've talked about this before in the podcast of like, you're just not whole unless you're married. (laughs) And like, what a damaging message for those of us that are single to believe that we somehow can't be completely given in ministry or dedicated to something unless we have a husband, you know, and that, that could be really painful. Had to deconstruct that, that particular thing to be able to recognize that like, there is undivided devotion to God mm-hmm. as a single person, actually maybe even more opportunity for those things, not less. And it's so strange to me because even if we're going by the literal fundamentalist version of the book, right? Paul yeah, yeah. says, if you can stay single, stay single. Right. <laughs> However, the Christian <laughs> church has been like, well, that's not good for us. I don't know. Why, why must every woman be paired with a man, why must every man be paired with a woman? Because we're fearful of the outcomes. We want to control people. I don't know. Like, yeah. Where is it coming from? Yeah, I completely agree with that. And it's so interesting. The I would talk a lot about it with my friends about just like the elevation of marriage and how that has become, I think just in our culture in general, we're, we're relational beings and we take a good thing and we bring it too far. It's like, of course, being in a relationship with people is beautiful and we are not less whole if we don't have a coming of marriage or in depth relationship with another person in that context. Okay, let's talk about what what the impact you feel like is with modesty culture in our society. That's the whole thing. So we talked about this a little bit before, but mm-hmm. it's it's crazy to me that people read those passages and end up thinking about breasts and tummies and butts and like that is not in there. It goes on to talk about wealth yeah, and the, the flaunting of what you have when others do not have. So that whole modesty conversation was aimed at putting everyone on equal footing, right? Like don't walk in with gold in your hair and the finest everything, making other people feel like you're better than them and they might not belong for some reason as was really common in that culture, right? To, and in ours, flaunt your wealth. If you have it, Mm -hmm. drive the nicest car, have the nicest things, wear the designer brands. And I think that that's a really convicting and challenging thing for men and women to hear. Are you behaving modestly? Are you flaunting your wealth so that people can see that you feel or want to be in some way superior to them? And, And you're not then pursuing equality. So I think to say like behave modestly so that we can pursue equality is so much more beautiful and holistic than saying put your boobs away. I don't know if I can say that on your podcast. But like we'll figure it out. They should be smaller. You can't have them like that. You know? Um cover that up. So when we talk about the impact of that message for women, I mean so many girls come into my office and they will perpetually share stories of just shame and not even from like a quite sexualized, you know, stance of just, yeah, I went to church with with pants on and I was ashamed. I mean, that's my story, right? And so like 
just being able to recognize that we have taken, again, a good thing in the context of scripture where it's actually more about our motivation, mm-hmm. but we've translated it to confining women to this feeling of shame outside of that. And not to say that like, I mean, just like wealth is a way that we flaunt our uh, value. So can our bodies be. I think women, you know, in our sexualized culture do use our bodies because that's what we've been taught, right? Mm-hmm. To feel valued. Um, and I think this passage can be connected to both of those things, but I think we've taken it to an extent that shames women Agreed. and not says, hey, you are loved, not because of your body, not because of your wealth, but because you are a child of God. And this is where we get, I think, a really a lot of mixed messages. And then we start shaming our bodies. And that can be, as I've seen in my own life, in my clients' lives, very detrimental to our mental health. Yeah, I'm having a really interesting thought right now that I've never quite put together. So it might not come out completely articulated, but like, I'm really feeling like this is another power play. Like this is all about power in that you can flaunt your wealth to demonstrate your power. You can flaunt your body as women. Our sexuality is one of the most powerful things that we possess. And one of the most manipulative things that, you know, tools that we have in our toolbox. But are we as Jesus followers, be it wealth, be it sexuality, willing to put our power down as he asked us to so that other people can be on equal footing with us? That's the big question. That's beautiful. And what what could that do, you know, to bring kingdom to earth? I love that. In addition to both of these roles and modesty distortions, I think there is another layer that I've termed the good girl complex, you know. What do you think the impact has been for these messages such as to be a good Christian woman or daughter or follower, you have to X, Y, Z, whether it be serving a lot or, you know, whatever the the message is for women. Not having boundaries. Yes. Yes. Not even knowing what boundaries are. (laughs) We can't have boundaries in those contexts, right? Yeah. We are available and should be only for the use of others and the furthering of their their well-being. And therefore, we cannot put boundaries around ourselves and our time and our energy and protect that because then we're being selfish. Yeah, that is such a true statement that I perpetually hear. And for even my own process, like I think of how long it took me to learn boundaries in my own life. And still, as mm-hmm. a recovering, you know, want to serve everybody kind of person, fe- still feeling the trickle of like guilt or feeling quote unquote bad, right? Oh, I feel bad. I can't do that. But to be able to honor our limits, like what does that look like? And does God bless that? You know, mm-hmm. I believe he does. Yeah, for sure. He's, He's a God of rest, right? Yes. Yep. That was the story in the very beginning. So rest. Good. All right. So with all of this being said, I wonder if we can take some truths and apply it to reconstruct the, the, I would say, the biblical version of all of these things. And so I've written a few down that we can just kind of process through. Well, number one, the reconstruction that I have been able to build in my own process is that Jesus is a supporter of women. And I found this quote that I love by Rebecca McLaughlin. I'm going to read it really quick. The four New Testament gospels tell multiple stories of Jesus relating to women. Poor women, rich women, sick women, grieving women, old women, young girls, Jewish women, Gentile women, women known for their sinfulness, women known for their virtue, virgins, widows, prostitutes, prophetesses, 
looking through their eyes, we see a man who valued women of all kinds, especially those vilified by others. Indeed, the way that Jesus treated women tore up the belief that women are innately inferior to men, a belief that was pervasive in the ancient world. So share with me just your thoughts on this, or even, I know we've talked about some passages in the Gospels that are really powerful to display this for us. I think that the most interesting story that I hear about Jesus relating to a woman, and there are so many that we could illustrate, but when Mary's sitting at the feet of Jesus and Martha's running around Mm -hmm. doing whatever she's doing, like, Martha, way to show hospitality. I'm not angry at you. (laughs) But Mary is taking the position of a disciple at her rabbi's feet Mm -hmm. and learning from him in a way that was completely culturally unacceptable. Not just like, yeah, we don't do that, but like, we really don't do that. What is she doing? And that's probably what Martha's thinking, right? Like, like shameful. Yeah. Why is she assuming this position at your feet? It wasn't a story about work versus rest. It was a story about gender roles yeah. in which Mary was assuming the quote unquote incorrect one. And Martha was assuming the correct one. And Jesus says, Martha, don't worry about her. She's chosen the better thing. And to me, as you know, I would call myself an academic, a scholar. I would say that like, I love to learn about Jesus and his word and theology. And I'm constantly pursuing that. I want to be told that that's a good thing. I don't want to be told that my mind and my love for that don't matter because what I produce matters more. I love that. And that story is such a helpful reminder for me. And I think of also like who were the first evangelists? Like mm. women. <laughs> like, the, like the fact that women were able to be the ones to bring the good news of Jesus' resurrection to the disciples like, is so countercultural in any other context. And so that can be such a reminder to us, both of these stories, as the many others that we see in Scripture, that women were so valued by Jesus. He turned the script, right? He changed the narrative there. And the woman at the well was the first evangelist. Yeah. Yeah, he did not exclude even close women from his ministry. And I think that that's hugely overlooked in the way that we treat women in the church today. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. All right. The next one that I think is really important for us to embody is that Jesus preached equality of value and uniqueness of personhood. And you talked about this a little bit earlier, but this idea of equality. And I think of the passage in Galatians 3 that talks about like in Christ, we are one, right? There's no Jew or Gentile. There's no slave, nor free, no male, no female. Because of the cultural context in this particular passage, you know, Paul was explaining that we need to stop elevating certain things. And this in verse 29, says, for you belong to Christ. And I think this is such an important aspect of equality that I think the church misses at times. Yeah, and people want to attribute this to like, oh, we all are on an even playing field to receive salvation. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we are. Mm-hmm. But Paul's literally saying like these distinctions do not exist anymore. Not just because you can be saved, but like the gospel puts everybody on equal footing. Yeah. Yeah. You know, we are all equally as needy and we are all equally as equipped. Amen. I think of the passage in Romans 16 where like so many women are mentioned. Paul talks about Junia, who was considered like chief, top, best, like premium among the apostles. 
at that time. And Junia is a feminine name. And in the original manuscripts, it is Junia. And there was a period of time throughout history where it was changed to Junius because <laughs> per the current thinking or thinking at the time, a person who was top among the apostles could not person could not possibly be a woman. So they changed that name to Junius with nothing other than this perception of inequality in their minds. Not any type of backing in academia, any inscription of the name Junius being anywhere else ever. Just, oh, that couldn't possibly be a woman. And we see representations of women in scripture like being altered to a degree throughout translation history. And I really believe like the fact that we have so much pointing to the women who are part of Jesus' ministry and pointing to the women who co-labored with Paul is a huge testament to what has survived throughout the millennia. <laughs> like how much more was it probably at the time that it was actually happening? Yeah. Like lists so women. Like I think of, as I go through scripture and see just how Paul was so engaged with so many women that were doing incredible work, it, it reminds me that like, Ministry is my my calling and birthright too. You know, okay. preach. All right, and lastly, I think this is a really important one when we're talking about the relation to modesty. You know, and I I tag this one as God cares more about our hearts than our hymn lives. And I love what you had shared about the idea of modesty being more about the concept of wealth. And in in First Timothy two, we see this, and I'm just going to read this so you can hear it in context. Therefore. I want the men everywhere to pray, lifting up holy hands without anger and dispute. Also want the women to dress modestly. This is where we tend to stop, right? The dialogue. Okay, dress modestly, but we have to keep reading. With decency and propriety, adore themselves, not with elaborate hairstyles or gold or pearls or expensive clothes, but with good deeds appropriate for women who profess to worship God. And this idea here that you've already mentioned is... That the dressing of modesty was to create equality and to not use, like you said, power to shift the the levels of influence and value in our culture. And I think this is so prevalent today, like you were saying, that he does God does care about and does have commands for us according to our heart to be humble. And I think of Philippians where he talks about like to be humble and to count others more important than ourselves. And this starts with, I think, of a heart of equality. I mean, I think that God is more concerned about our consumerism than he is about our, again, humbling, right? Mm -hmm. And I think that we have a lot of responsibility to look at how we engage in the marketplace and think about what brands we support and how they treat the people that work for them or that don't necessarily work for them, but are providing slave labor for them in other countries. I think we have a responsibility to look at the income that we have, the talents that we've been asked to steward and determine how we are going to use them. Are we going to bury them and have a big closet? Or are we going to use them for the thriving of the community? And I mean, I'm preaching for myself, right? The Instagram algorithm knows me. It's <laughs> to buy all things and, and it works. It, it's... It is a challenge in self-discipline to say no to the thing that is carefully curated for you based on your personality and viewing history. Mm -hmm. But it's a worthwhile challenge to 
to ask like, is that the best use of this? Could I in some way benefit the community in a better way by saying no? And as Christ followers, that's what we sign up for. That's right. You know, if you don't follow Jesus, buy the thing. Like, I don't have that expectation of you otherwise. But when you say yes to Jesus, it it's not to remain comfortable and then point out when girls come into church wearing inappropriate clothing. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that is not the assignment. <laughs> That's right. I truly love this conversation. And I think it's such a needed one for so many women. And I, I guess maybe my final question that we can process together is, what do we want the next generation of women to know? Or if you could just share like even one thing that you're like, this is what my what what I want my daughters to know yeah. about Jesus, about their personhood. Mm-hmm. I mean, based on my own personal story, I want my girls to know that they can be preachers instead of pastors' wives if they choose to be. Like that is a valid, worthy option that I will support. If they don't want to do that and they want to stay home and raise children, that is also a beautiful, valid, worthy option that I will support. Like, choose the lane that Jesus has laid out in front of you because he created you with a special calling and purpose. And then, like, work that well. You're worthy no matter what it is. And then don't look for your worth in that thing or similarly in the way that you look or dress or present or are perceived we're all trying desperately to determine i mean me i'm a three i'm trying desperately to determine if i am worth something based on my performance yeah and it's conditioning that i have to break rethink reprogram every single day but you know i want my girls to live into the fact that they are incredible image bearers who are worthy and valuable no matter what they do or how they look like let's define what is success as a woman in a very different way and maybe we still need to create a lot of language around what that specifically looks like instead of what it's not but but the culture has told us for a long time it's what we do and how we look yeah yeah Amen. Um, I think I think of Henry Nowen's book, The Life of the Beloved, and how he takes the image of Jesus breaking bread with his disciples. And he says these four things. He says, you are chosen, right? You are blessed. You are broken and you are given to the world. And these four are such a reminder of our identity as beloved daughters of God, that we are chosen and that we are blessed beyond measure because of who we are, not what we do or how we look or how we gain value in the world's eyes. And then in all of that, right, we are we are broken in order to be given. And our unique brokenness, our unique stories, right, tell of God's glory. I truly believe that and what, what we can do with that, right? What we can do with our giftings, what we can do with our stories is truly can be a gift to the world. And so I hope that's what hope this what this episode can be just an encouragement for each one of us to to live into that calling thank you so much for coming i'm really grateful to have you thanks for joining me today thanks so much for tuning in to this episode of therapy and theology if you have a question or topic you would like discussed on a future episode please feel free to email me or drop it in the comments also don't forget to subscribe to have each week's episode instantly downloaded to your podcasts and see the show notes for resources mentioned in this episode. 
To access more content and join my monthly email list, for the latest updates and info, visit my website at carlymarkleer.com. Hey, Ted, what do you want to do today? Well, Ashley, I've always got uh, work to do, naps to take. But I have a better idea. How about we invite everyone to listen to the Team Us podcast? I love that idea. Let's do it right now. Hi, everyone. We're Ted and Ashley Slater, and we'd love for you to join us as we talk about teamwork in marriage. We share how grace, commitment, and cooperation can help couples live the everyday moments of marriage together. To listen, go to lifeaudio.com and search for Team Us.